Welcome to the Strangeology Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Boren. From cryptozoology, ufology, and the paranormal, to legends, forbidden history, and more, listen in and explore the world of the weird and unexplained. Join me as I look into strange and fascinating tales and unearth the truths and theories behind some of the world's greatest mysteries. Be sure to head on over to our HQ, strangeology.com, where you can check out our blog, episodes archive, gift shop, sign up to our email list, and so much more. For daily updates, trivia, shenanigans, and the occasional giveaway, follow us on social media over Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And now, on to this week's episode. Welcome back to the Strangeology Podcast. Uh, this is the fifth episode, which is kind of wild. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for checking out my episodes so far and downloading and, and spreading the word. It really means a lot, and uh, it's helping this podcast grow and get more traction, which is awesome. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> beyond that... Uh, here in uh, New England, where I'm from, we're, we're now in the deep winter, at least where I'm at. I'm kind of, you know, a little <laughs> kind of close to the Canadian border, really, uh, compared to the rest of New England. And this time of year really brings out uh, the cabin fever. It's like you can sometimes smell spring, but it's just so far away. It's kind of like the first half of winter here, we really don't get a lot of snow outside and it doesn't get super cold very often uh, between like November and December. And, you know, you've got the holidays to look forward to. But then after that, it's just like this long, dark wait <laughs> until spring. But thankfully, you know, we're getting for daylight now. Uh, and it's like typically once late January, early February hits, you get those days where the temperature drops below zero, your nose freezes when you go outside and take your first breath, and then you get the uh, couple, two, three nor'easter blizzards that always seem to happen around Valentine's and uh, St. Patty's Day. It's kind of weird. And then, you know, apparently the other day was Groundhog's Day, and Punxsutawney Phil, of course, Saw a shadow again, so six more weeks of winter at least. <laughs> that poor groundhog. I mean, God, what number Punxsutawney Phil are we on at this point? That's probably a little too depressing to look into. Anyway, uh, enough of weather and groundhogs. While I'm cooped up and snowed in at the uh, Strangeology HQ, I decided the other day it would be a fun idea to ask people over on uh, my Instagram page what kind of topics they wanted to hear more on here at the Strangeology Podcast. And the overwhelming answer was cryptids. Yes. So, of course, I'll be delving into other Fortean topics as well in future episodes. Um, but, you know, cryptids are always a good time. So this week I decided uh, to do a deep dive onto one of the legends of the Southwest, and we are going to be looking at Arizona's answer to Bigfoot, the 
hairy hominoid cryptid known as the Mogion Monster. So I did a pretty deep dive on this topic, and uh, there's some interesting stuff in the news, but I think we're going to skip the news this week and maybe you know talk about it next time, because this is going to be a, a little bit of a doozy. So let's just get right into it. Picture yourself in the American Southwest, particularly Arizona, and chances are you imagine this place is a dry and arid desert with craggy and jagged mountains, cacti, sparse vegetation, along with the hardy critters that make their home in this harsh environment. Perhaps you think of blazing temperatures in the triple digits or desert mesas like the Navajo National Monument on the border of Utah, which has graced the, the screens of many Western-themed movies. Pro tip, if you've never been to the Navajo National Monument, it's definitely a must-see, <laughs> but I digress. If you're uh, unfamiliar with the landscape of this region, it's more than just desert. Cutting through the northern half of Arizona lays the Mogollon Rim, the southern half of the Colorado Plateau. This vast swath of ponderosa pine forest highlands spans for almost 200 miles, going from Williams and Prescott, Arizona, and reaching pretty close to the border of New Mexico. It's home to many beautiful vistas and badlands, and many visit this region to camp and hike as it's a very remote place. This area is home to the Tonto National Forest, and within that, the Hell's Gate Wilderness, which is protected land, and the namesake of that seems pretty fitting for this story we're about to get into. Among the wildlife, there are black bears, mountain lions, coyotes, mule deer, and gray fox, in addition to many other types of animal species, which constitute the wildlife of this region. Now, according to legends and campfire stories, it's said that there is a terrifying creature that lurks within its depths. This beast that's been talked about in stories for generations is known as the Mogollon Monster. In most descriptions of it, the Mogollon Monster is essentially a type of Bigfoot. Most reports seem to say it's a seven to eight foot tall biped, which is covered in a long, thick coat of usually reddish to brown hair, except for its hairless face, which seems to be a mix of human and great ape. It's known to travel with a very wide stride, too big to be human, and of the tracks and footprints that have been found, which could be as a result of one of these creatures passing by, some have reportedly measured up to 22 inches, which is pretty big. <laughs> According to witnesses, the mostly nocturnal monster is also known to emit a deafening screech-like howl, unlike any of the other wildlife in the area. And... 
if that wasn't scary enough, this particular cryptid is known to be aggressive and violent. There have also been reports of it making whistling sounds while it's been spotted exploring campsites, like it might be signaling to other nearby creatures of its kind. And much like its hominoid cousins elsewhere, the creature is said to emit a strong and putrid stench, much like a mixture of dead fish and skunk. This beast has also been known to terrorize hikers and campers in the area by throwing rocks, and according to some stories, it's been known to charge trespassers into its territory. The creature is also apparently blamed for strange and unexplained animal mutilations among the Mogollon Rim. Those who've crossed paths with the Mogollon Monster have also reported the Oz effect, which is something that happens when a predator is in the area and all the wildlife in the forest becomes quiet and the air becomes still, almost as if an, as if something is zeroing in on your location. This is something that's known to be common with other predatory animals lurking nearby. So if you find yourself out in the Mogollon Rim and something like that happens, I think it definitely makes sense to pay attention uh, to what's going on in the environment around you because you never know, the, uh, the Mogollon Monster could be coming out to get you. <laughs> so a little, little bit of a fun fact about the, uh, the Mogion monster. And I never knew this was a thing, but uh, Arizona's official state balladeer since 1966 uh, is this guy named Dolan Ellis. And I'd never heard of states having a balladeer before, but I guess that makes sense. Uh, guy just writes writes songs and ballads and uh, <laughs> travels around the state and performs them. But uh, anyway, apparently uh, many years ago, Ellis wrote a song named the Mogollon Monster, and it was all about how the creature would target people who littered in the Arizona State Parks and Wilderness. <laughs> so, you know, if uh, the, the campfire stories of this creature weren't enough, you know, now... Now uh, the Mogion monster's coming after you for uh, leaving your trash behind. <laughs> so there you go. There it is. Uh, leave no trace behind, and uh, the Mogion monster will leave you be. <laughs> so for decades, I mean, longer than I've been alive, at least, uh, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it, has kind of been the, the center point, the all-star of the cryptozoology zeitgeist. You know, it's really kind of the... Uh, cryptids 101 creature you know everybody has heard of bigfoot and stories of hairy wild men roaming the remote forests of north america and really the world at large are nothing new and i'm sure you know it's kind of the jumping off point for for many of us who who study cryptids you know, it's the first one you've heard of and then you know, this one leads to that one, kind of like <laughs> the gateway drug to cryptids and cryptozoology. And it's, you know, tales of these upright, hairy, humanoid, hominoid beings can be found 
in almost every corner of the world. And some accounts have been passed down for generations via oral tradition or written down into our books. And in America, we have Bigfoot, of course, or Sasquatch, if, if that's how you prefer to call it. And in popular culture, at least, it seems most of the time, uh, the Pacific Northwest comes to mind first um, as to where this legendary creature makes its home. The last place I feel like you'd picture a creature like this uh, being able to exist is uh, an area just outside of a hot desert. But here we have stories for generations of a hairy hominoid that indeed does come from this corner of the country. I have to be honest, I wasn't even aware of the story of the Mogollon monster until a few months ago. I think I heard about it on Bigfoot Society's podcast or something like that. Quick shout out. (laughs) And it piqued my interest because I'd never heard of it before and I've been to Arizona a handful of times in my travels and it's it's definitely if you like awesome scenery and driving for hours in the desert listening to uh you know like something like classic rock or coast to coast am uh for me at least there's there's nothing like it it's just uh this awesome free feeling just like being out there and i'd had highly recommend it if uh, you've never been uh to arizona to visit uh I, i've been to uh, areas and, and towns that are in the Mogollon Rim, actually, uh, like Williams and, and Flagstaff. Uh, Sedona, it doesn't, I think it's just like on the very edge of it, so I don't know if that quite counts. Um, and Payson, Arizona, which is incidentally much closer to the heart of the, the Tonto National Forest, and um, according to many of the stories is really more of the hot spot for uh, hairy hominoid activity. Uh, So I'll just say I've been to Payson before and I had some, some good barbecue there if I remember correctly. (laughs) And uh, when I went there, uh, this was gosh, uh, eight, nine years ago at this point, um, I was with some, some old friends and uh, we, we're just driving around, kind of cruising around uh, one day and uh, drove out a few miles beyond Payson and uh, Star Valley, which is the next town over. And after that, there's really no towns for, for miles and miles. I think the closest town is like 15 or 20 miles up uh, Route 260. We didn't quite make it that far, but it's pretty much just uh, wilderness, uh, pine forest, and uh, the you know the occasional campsite. I think there's a couple of ranches uh, and maybe a resort uh, somewhere along this this long stretch of of highway. But uh, anyway, you know, the whole area just feels super squatchy. Especially, uh, we had stopped to stretch our legs and and kind of wander around a campsite for a couple of minutes. And there's literally like no, nobody there. I think this was in uh, late September or something like that. Um, so not entirely sure if that's uh, 
off season for camping in Arizona, but it certainly certainly seemed to be at that point in the year. Although it was, you know, Arizona's still still pretty hot in September. Though the further north and the higher in elevation you get, it becomes a little more bearable. But uh, it certainly has that Bigfoot vibe, um, or at least a, a bear or something might just kind of wander out in front of you. But it's just so remote out there that you never know. And ultimately, it wasn't uh, a day for a monster encounter, uh, <laughs> thankfully, really, because I'm not sure, based on the descriptions of the Mogollon monster, it doesn't really sound like something you want to run into. Um, and at the end of the day, we, we wound up and headed back to uh, Payson to, to grab some food and went on our, our merry way. Um, but as far as the Mogollon monster story goes uh from my research it seems that it first became popularized and known in modern cryptozoology from a man by the name of don davis there's an earlier written account but we'll get into that one shortly and in a little bit of detail so while near uh payson Incidentally, uh, Don Davis reported that he had encountered a tall and hairy man-like beast while he was on a Boy Scout camping trip uh, during the mid-1940s. And at this time, Davis was just 13 years old. And the Boy Scout troop that he was with was camping near Tonto Creek. And in the middle of the night, he was awakened by the sound of something or someone rummaging through his and his fellow uh, scout members' belongings. And I'll note that none of these boys, at least from how it was described, were using tents. They were just kind of out in the open in their sleeping bags. And I assume there's probably, you know, a uh, campfire or something that had been put out or something like that that they were staying warm with in the night because the nights, even though it's a, a hot desert <laughs> area, the nights can get pretty cold out there. So Davis having been brought to attention by this noise, saw this large figure that was responsible for the racket that woke him up. And Davis yelled out to the figure. And according to him, he was probably just thinking it was one of his uh, fellow scouts. And at that point, the figure stood up and approached him. And it was huge. And whoever or whatever this was walked over to him, stopped just about four feet from his sleeping bag, and was just like towering over him and staring at him. Davis described this figure that was only a couple feet away as having this expressionless face with deep set eyes, a massive build, you know, huge chest and arms and shoulders and accompanying the, the bulk of this being. He also noted that the monster had a uh, very foul odor surrounding it. And according to his account, apparently he initially thought he had uh, crapped in his sleeping bag, um, which, you know, he may have, but uh, uh, I don't know. Seeing a, a giant uh, bipedal 
uh, hairy creature that's clearly not human uh, standing over you in the middle of the night, in the middle of the nowhere, might lead to some uh, <laughs> some loss of control of your uh, your backside. But uh, I digress. So now, as far as how that situation resolved uh, for Don Davis's story, it it seems that uh, it mu- the creature must have just gone off after th- that point. Um, I wasn't really able to find any definitive ending to Don Davis's story. Uh, so we can just probably assume whatever it was, if the story is true, that uh, it, the creature probably just wandered off into the darkness of the night. Let's take a look or a listen, rather, uh, at the uh, the earlier uh, written account I uh, mentioned uh, before going into uh, Don Davis's story. Uh, this story very well could be describing the Mogollon monster or some kind of relative to it. Uh, this account was reported in the 1903, or not the, but a 1903 edition of the Arizona Republican, which was a news rag at the time. Uh, it's, and it's funny doing research on this. I, I actually found an archive of the paper that this article was in, and I read the, the whole thing. And it's not a very long article and wasn't too terribly hard to find. Um, and it's interesting if you read about this particular story on different uh, wiki pages and blogs on the internet. All of those are kind of, I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's very abridged. It's missing a lot of details and it's a little bit inaccurate as to what the story actually says. So I wanted to uh, kind of paraphrase what the, the, uh, the whole story was here. So a man by the name of I.W. Stevens, uh, he was a the person who who uh, submitted this story to the Arizona Republican. Uh, he was a resident of Cedar, Colorado, and his story of a confrontation with some strange beast out in the Arizona wilderness uh, really kind of is kind of like the the first written account of something being being out in the Mogollon Rim. Um, and his account was, his encounter was actually in 1901, two years prior to releasing his story to uh, the public. So he referred to this creature as the Wild Man of the Rocks. And, you know, based on his his uh, descriptions, it sounds like this was kind of a, a known story, at least for locals and uh, natives of the area. And his particular encounter uh, allegedly happened in the Grand Canyon, which is a little further north in Arizona than the Mogollon Rim. Um, so, you know, if it is the same type of creature its uh, extent 
or zone where it uh, resides and travels maybe a bit larger than we previously thought. <laughs> um, but uh, this this account is pretty interesting uh, nonetheless. So I should also preface this story with the fact that a lot of news articles and uh, stories and magazines that c- come from the turn of the uh, 20th century are chock full of stories of strange creatures and encounters. And uh, in many instances, these publications and newspapers actually wound up making a lot of these stories up, probably, you know, in, in an effort to drive sales of the paper or to bring in tourism to communities um, that were in economic trouble. Uh, whether or not there's any truth to these articles that came out back then is, is hard to say for all of them. So just take this all with a, you know, a grain of salt. <laughs> Stevens um, was actually in the, the northwestern part of Arizona, so near the Grand Canyon, um, actually near the lower end of the, the Grand Canyon where this story takes place. And according to the tale that he uh, sent to the Arizona Republican, he had recently broken his arm back in 1901 and had decided to take a trip to the Colorado River and just, uh, you know, some R&R. He wanted to trap some beaver uh, and other game while he healed up. And when his arm was strong enough, he had a friend help him build a skiff to travel up the Colorado River a few miles um, so he could, you know, just chill out and uh, set some traps and, and uh, catch some beavers. <laughs> and he eventually pulled up onto the riverbank and uh, was going to set up camp. And uh, he noticed that there were bare footprints in the sand on the river's edge. And initially he thought it was, it was likely someone from uh, one of the local Native American tribes. And kept on finding these tracks for the next couple of days, the further and further he went up the river. And it was really just turned into this curiosity for him. And he was like, oh, I want to know who this person is who's walking barefoot all this way. And on his third day of his trip, he noticed the head of what appeared to be a man perched up on a bench of rocks a little ways up and across the river and curiosity got the best of him. And he decided he was going to go investigate to see who it was, you know, kind of putting two and two together and thinking this is probably the person that, uh, had been traveling barefoot all this way. So Stevens had a little bit of trouble, uh, getting to the area. The figure was he had to, travel up the river on his skiff a little ways and then hike up the canyon walls. And eventually he made it and he made it to the location of this, this figure rather undetected. Uh, when he arrived, he came upon the scene of what he could only describe as a, uh, a quote, wild man uh, sitting on a boulder, just kind of doing its thing. And Stevens described this figure, this person, whatever it was, 
as having long white hair and a matted beard that reached its knees. And as he moved closer and closer to get a better view of this person or thing, he noted other details uh, like this, whatever it was, was totally unclothed. And as he noticed its hands, he noticed that it had sharp two-inch-long claws on each finger and a coat of gray hair covered its whole body, uh, save for a few bald patches where you could see some dirty skin showing through. And all the while, this, uh, this thing just didn't even notice him for some reason. All of a sudden, a nearby rock in this moment came rolling down the way, probably loosened by a passing animal. And at that moment, according to the story, this this wild man, this beast, quickly turned around to see what made the noise. Uh, and in that instant, it saw Stevens. And turning around, it revealed its, its uh, horrid face. In the article, it, uh, Stephen's uh, story actually says, oh, the horror. <laughs> and it's like, okay, <laughs> I guess this thing's pretty ugly. I don't know. Uh, but Stephen's described its face as looking like it had been seared brown by the sun and it had fiery green eyes. So if that's not a description of uh, something you don't want to run into while you're out in the wilderness, I don't know what is. Uh, so then the creature stood up at an intimidating seven feet tall and let out this wild whooping screech and it launched itself up the canyon walls with inhuman speed and skill, much like a a mountain sheep's capabilities for about 75 yards. And it stopped and then turned to face Stevens once again. And it was then that Stevens noticed that it was carrying this club with it that he said was large enough to fell an ox. And the creature kind of just hung out on his high ground for a minute and uh, chattering and shrieking to itself. And in that probably what felt like forever, the creature then came barreling down towards Stevens presumably ready to take his head off. And claiming he wasn't a good runner, Stevens decided to stand his ground, and he had a rifle with him uh, and raised raised it towards this wild man or beast, whatever it was, that was headed towards him with uh, intention. <laughs> and uh, in that moment, while he was aiming to at least disarm or incapacitate this creature, uh, this duel of fates was about to be interrupted as the growl from another creature was heard. And both Stevens and the wild man heard this. And in that moment, Stevens saw that a, uh, a mother cougar coming in for the attack on the wild man so he switched his aim to the cat and shot. 
when the smoke and the chaos cleared, Stevens reported that he could see his aim was true and the cougar's lifeless body laid on the ground right where the charging wild man was standing in that moment. And he noticed that the wild man had disappeared from view and he realized at that point to make his retreat as he had no extra ammunition. He had one, one round with him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess when he was going up there, he didn't really think there was going to be any kind of a threat, but, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, <laughs> uh, you get a wild man running at you with a club. So he, uh, he decides to make his escape and heads back to the campsite you know, he climbs down, gets back on a skiff, goes down the river, back to his campsite. And uh, so this next part's a little bit brutal. So if you don't want to listen to a story about dead animals, you might want to skip ahead about 30 seconds. Uh, so when Stevens approached his camp, the wild man apparently had returned to the dead mother cougar that Stevens had shot carried it, made his way somehow to Stephen's campsite and was there waiting for him with the dead mother cougar and apparently its two cubs, which were bludgeoned to death by this hominoid beast. I assume this kind of sounds like, and it reminds me of a recent uh, video on YouTube where a hiker was out in the woods and all of a sudden about like 25, 30 yards in front of him, a cougar cub jumps out onto the trail and then mama's not too far behind. And then this guy has to walk backwards for like 10, 10 minutes up the trail as this cougar is just like following him and like kind of lashing out a little bit before it decides to take off. So maybe this cougar was coming out of the woods, um, as a means to protect its young. Uh, maybe it was the, the reason why a rock uh, kind of slid down the way as Stevens was uh, observing this wild man before it noticed him. It's entirely possible uh, with all the, the, uh, the crazy activity of, of this uh, wild man jumping up the cliff face and making all sorts of noise, I'm sure, you know, if a, a mother... Mother Cougar was trying to protect its its uh, its cubs. Yeah, kind of makes sense, at least, uh, based on the situation. So, um, and so back to you know Stevens arriving at his campsite to gather his things and get the hell out of there. Uh, this creature, this wild man, was just kind of standing over the carcasses of all these dead cats and. And uh, for a moment, and then suddenly it began drinking the blood of the dead cougars. And Stevens yelled out to the creature, and ultimately it wound up bolting up the nearby canyon walls, and it screamed at him once more before jumping to the top of the canyon and disappearing over the rim. And, uh, you know... Stevens was obviously perturbed by what he had just experienced and then witnessed. And uh, he, 
at the end of the, the story said uh, that was the strangest adventure of his life. And <laughs> I would uh, definitely say if he didn't have any other <laughs> weird creature encounters, that was probably the one <laughs> that takes the cake for sure. Yeah, so definitely strange indeed and uh, probably more horrifying, to be honest. So to me, this is certainly similar to, you know, some descriptions of the the classic relict hominid sightings of Bigfoots and Yetis and Sasquatch and perhaps the gray hair that this particular sighting could infer is that maybe it was an older uh, creature. Um, however, Stephen's descriptions do make it sound a little bit more human-like than your typical Bigfoot. So if the story is true, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that it could have been literally a wild, feral human that had just kind of gone off the deep end. I guess we just, we don't know for sure, you know. And in the end, the whole thing could have been made up for notoriety reasons or what have you. But it's uh, it's certainly a, a compelling story and a, a harrowing one at that. But uh, as far as some fun camps uh, campfire stories go about the Mogion monster, uh, I wanted to just kind of throw a couple of these out there because they're <laughs> yeah they're pre- they're pretty fun. Uh, so a popular story that's uh, I guess had been told for years and in. in uh, Boy Scout camp and and what have you, uh, is the tale of a, a man named Bill Spade, who was a pioneer in Arizona back in the day. And the story goes that Spade had built a log cabin on the land near the modern day uh, Boy Scout facility, uh, Camp Geronimo, which is in the, the Tonto National Forest. And in the story, Spade is attacked in the middle of the night by this monster who left nothing behind of Spade save for his face, which was evidently torn off and left hanging from a tree. Spade's cabin remained abandoned for years, and according to uh, the campfire stories, the, the Mogion monster could be seen often hanging hanging around the area waiting for its next victim to deface. <laughs> now that's a that's a pretty pretty brutal story for sure. Um, and then uh, a variant of the story uh, that I found in my research is that uh, Bill's father Sam Spade was actually the one who built the cabin um, and is attacked by the monster. Um, Bill's father, Sam, survives the attack, but goes insane. And years later, Bill and his bride-to-be are, for some reason or another, at the cabin on their wedding day, and they're killed by the creature. And much like the the first iteration, uh, the creature is often seen in the area uh, awaiting to... uh, take its next victim so clearly you know scary campfire story probably you know told to uh make sure 
scouts and other campers don't go wandering off into the wilderness and and that kind of thing. That seems to be a, a, a common theme with a lot of these old legends. But, you know, there certainly could be a kernel of truth uh, to a lot of legends and myths. I think, you know, it makes sense that there's something out there that influenced stories like these. So some explanations of the Mogollon monster involve legends and traditions from uh, Native American folklore uh, from tribes like the Paiute and the Wallapai. The legends speak of a tormented tribe member uh, typically bent on revenge. One variant tells of a prehistoric tribe that exiled their chief, uh, though the, the reasons apparently are unclear. The chief then calls upon the spirits to enact his vengeance and is transformed into an unearthly beast, which I guess to some is, is reminiscent of this Mogion monster creature. Uh, and other accounts tell of a man who survived an attack by Native Americans, and this man fled into the woods only to be cursed by spirits and, and driven insane and, and has turned into this uh, feral man-beast monster that uh, is aggressive and attacks people. <laughs> um, and there's other versions of the story, but I think you get the idea of uh, the old legends and, and myths there. In more recent times, a woman by the name of Marjorie Grimes, who is a member of the White Mountain Apache Nation, um, who resides in White River, Arizona, uh, which is kind of on the, the eastern side of the state, closer to New Mexico, in the Fort Apache Reservation, uh, claimed that she has witnessed and encountered the Mogollon Monster several times uh, between 1982 and 2004. And the creature that she repeatedly saw was, she described it as uh, a tall, uh, black creature um, that took very large strides, too big to be human. Now, a number of other Fort Apache uh, residents have also come forward claiming that they have uh, encountered or witnessed a, a strange, hairy, uh, hominoid-looking creature lurking about over the years as well. Another member of the, the White Mountain Apache Nation, uh, Colette Altaha, was quoted as saying, there have been more sightings than ever before, and it cannot be ignored any longer. And uh, beyond that, apparently, tribal police in the area have also been made aware of the creature's presence uh, via phone calls that... Uh, they've received of scared residents saying that they have spotted some strange creature peering in through the windows of their house. And that's, you know, totally, <laughs> totally creepy. Right. Um, you know, there's, you can see videos like that over, uh, on YouTube and elsewhere on the internet, uh, which it's, yeah, it, with, with something weird looking in the window and it's definitely unsettling for sure. Um, 
And even in in modern the modern day, within the last decade, sightings of some strange hairy creature are are still reported in the Mogollon Rim. So clearly, there's there's got to be something going on out there. In uh, 2014, Cryptozoology Times received a story from a then 28-year-old woman who reported that she was hiking along the Canyon Point Trail in the rim and claimed to have come across this odd-looking creature. It was on its knees uh, drinking water uh, from a river or some water source, and it was kind of just making noises like a pig, and she initially thought, probably was a pig, uh, but it looked a little too big to be some kind of wild hog. And when she made a little bit of noise, the creature turned its head and stared right at her. And in that moment, she knew (laughs) whatever it was, it was, it was no pig for sure. And, uh, she understandably started freaking out at that point. And, you know, like what you do when you run into any uh, potentially dangerous wild animal out in the wilderness uh, to kind of scare it off. You want to uh, yell as loud as you can, never turn your back to it, put your arms ab- uh, up above your head to make yourself look as big as you can to scare it off. And that's exactly what she did. And this creature stood up on its on its legs bipedally. It wasn't like it was uh, a bear or anything like that. It stood up like a man would, but this thing was huge. And it decided to not engage, and it uh, it took off on its its two legs, <laughs> ran off into the canyon uh, at, uh, you know, inhuman speeds, and... As far as the the description of of what it looked like beyond being covered in hair, uh, the woman said that this creature had a a human-like face with a thick nose, small lips, uh, brownish-red eyes, and its its hair was actually kind of like a gray-blue kind of tint, and the only place it really didn't have hair was its face which is definitely in a lot of the other accounts and stories of this creature is uh, pretty spot on. Um, Interestingly, though, she said it reminded her of um, looking like a a troll from, you know, fairy tales uh, and and that kind of thing, which I think is an interesting comparison. You know, maybe it's not a Bigfoot. Maybe it's a... a completely different type of creature. <laughs> Who knows? Um, clearly, people are still seeing something out in the Mogollon Rim from time to time that isn't acknowledged by science. Uh, but ultimately, what it could be is is anyone's guess at this point. All right, guys. So that's the the story of the Mogollon monster in a nutshell. Uh, definitely did a pretty deep dive there. So <laughs> hopefully you're all still with me here. Um, it seems that, you know, while this particular cryptid story is, uh, 
I feel at least it's, it's lesser known, less talked about in Bigfoot circles, at least it's, um, it's definitely describing something that's really similar to a Bigfoot. Uh, but whether or not it's, it's, uh, you know, if the stories are true, uh, could it be, uh, Bigfoot's cousin or, you know, could it be a troll type creature? Uh, and ultimately, you know, maybe these stories are simply describing uh, some kind of feral human surviving in the Arizona wilderness over the years. There's been stories of uh, people uh, that survive out in the wild undetected for years. Uh, I think recently, was it in Maine? There was a guy that was living out in the woods for like 20 years, and uh, he recently got caught because he was surviving by... Uh, breaking into people's houses during the day and and taking food <laughs> and you know it's just like it could be that who knows but there's it's a very vast wilderness out there there's not a lot of people so I'm not sure if that explanation would really uh, fit but there's there's certainly enough um, resources in the area for some kind of big creature to uh, exist you know they, there's mule deer and and very uh, other types of, um, diverse, uh, fauna in the area that, uh, something that's, uh, carnivorous or omnivorous could, uh, certainly use to, uh, survive. There's also the, the possibility that, uh, you know, in the end, these could just be campfire stories to scare youngsters or campers, <laughs> uh, or they're simply, hoaxes for uh, people to gain notoriety, but I'm not sure of really anyone who's made a, not aware of anyone who's made a, a living off of uh, their story of an encounter from the Mogion monster. So who knows? Ultimately, time will tell what the truth is about the Mogion monster. So that uh, just about wraps up this episode. It's been kind of a long one. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story of the Mogion monster. Uh, a couple quick shout outs before I uh, wrap this up. Um, of course, thank you again to everyone who's listened and downloaded my episodes. We recently blew past 200 downloads, which is super exciting. Uh, so thank you so much for uh, checking out the show. We now have listeners in the United States, of course, the UK, Canada, Australia, the Netherlands, Sweden, Germany, Morocco, and uh, adding to that list this week, we've got uh, Ireland and Argentina. Wow. <laughs> so we're uh, being listened to on, what is that, four different continents now? So that's pretty wild. Um Blowing my mind, guys. Seriously, I I feel like I'm I'm saying it at every episode sign off, but it uh, it really helps a lot uh, for those of you who share my podcast uh, with friends and family and uh, on your social media to people you know who are into cryptids and UFOs and all sorts of fortean subject matter. So thank you from 
from the bottom of my heart, guys. It's uh, it's awesome. Uh, this is a, a great community, and I'm very uh, grateful to be a part of it and to uh, receive such support. It's really, really awesome. And in uh, other news of things to look forward to, I recently had a, a great conversation with Bo over at the Bump podcast just the other week. The uh, episode that I will be on as the guest is not entirely sure when it's coming out. I think it's going to be a couple weeks out still. Uh, So that's something to look forward to and check out. We uh, talk about uh, uh, some cool stuff, uh, some personal experiences and the like. So uh, things I don't think I've mentioned uh, here on this this podcast. So definitely check that out when it comes out. I will probably post about it over on uh, Instagram. And as always, guys, um, if you ever have any comments, uh, questions, suggestions, you want to shoot me uh, a video of like a UFO encounter or weird cryptid encounter, <laughs> or you have ideas of, of things that you'd like to hear on the show uh, or suggestions of, uh, of things that I could do to make things better here, uh, my email and my DMs are always open. Uh, my email is strangeologist at gmail.com and the the best place to hit up my dms is typically uh instagram uh but i try to get back to everyone i can and if you haven't checked out my my instagram twitter facebook uh definitely definitely check that out uh it's uh i I try to update it on the daily and uh try to have fun with it so Instagram's really the, the, the HQ for for um, my online social media presence. It's where I got started anyway. So I definitely appreciate it if you uh, give me a follow over there and see what's going on, say hi. And yeah, so I've been talking for a while here and uh, <laughs> getting getting a little, little uh, hoarse throat. <laughs> so I will... Uh, bid you guys all adieu and uh until next time take care of yourselves and each other and keep it strange